In the early 2000s, Rupert Murdoch's media empire was at its peak. It extended to three quarters of the world's population and crossed five continents. His reach would never be bigger. It was an almost unimaginable achievement. But for the next 20 years, the question that hung over everything he did was who would take over? Which of his children would lead the company when he finally retired? I am pleased to have him here at this table for the first time. Welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. Now, let me just... It was pretty clear that his favourite was his eldest son, Lachlan. Rupert had already described him as first among equals. How do you think you differ from your father in terms of your approach and personality and style? Um, I think that he, uh, he's had so much experience and he's got so much energy. Uh, his mind is, is always working. I've never seen him turn off. At the time Lachlan sat down with Charlie Rose in 2003, he was publisher of the New York Post. Lachlan wanted to show the world he was ready to step up. I'm not a psychiatrist, as you know, but is any of this, part of this, have some psychological element of proving to Dad how good I am? Um, well, you mentioned, you mentioned my mother, uh, and your mother. A, little bit, a little bit earlier, and I think that one of the things that, that, that parents do a good parents do is that, is that they, uh, they they lead by example and by leading by example. I met Lachlan not too long after this when he was based in Sydney and I was working at The Australian. Lachlan spent a lot of his time in Australia and he was kind of a cool proprietor at News Corp. He drank with senior editorial staff. He played cricket in the corridors at Christmas. He once bet an editor she couldn't beat a rival newspaper by 200,000 copies. And when she did, he bought her a Porsche. But suddenly, in 2005, with no warning, the heir apparent quit. What was your understanding for the reason why Lachlan did quit in 2005? I think Rupert was genuinely very torn. You know, there's the company and his kids, and they're both very precious to him. But he can be a clinically tough person. Even including dealing with his own son? Yeah, well, dealing with both his sons. Clearly, he and Lachlan had a very ruptured relationship. Kim Williams was at the top of Murdoch's Australian operations, running Foxtel. He told me that behind the scenes, there were tensions between Lachlan and the man who ran Fox News, Roger Ailes. Oh, I think that had to do with um, the aforementioned Mr Ailes. There was no love lost between Lachlan Murdoch and Roger Not Ailes. at all. Not at all. Fox News was Rupert's biggest earner, and because of that, Rupert had given Ailes free reign to run it how he liked. When Ailes clashed with Lachlan, Rupert chose Roger. The enterprise is, in fact, straight out of medieval feudalist analogies, but that's true. That's the way it works. Because even if it comes to his own son leaving the company, he can't afford to lose Roger Ailes commercially. You know, the company is his, his one true love. It's the thing which has always commanded the majority of his time, his affection and his, his thought space. I, I think he always had confidence that he would win back Lachlan's favour and loyalty. And he's been proven to be correct, hasn't he? I'm Paddy Manning. I'm chasing the story of Rupert Murdoch's drive. What makes him the last great media mogul? 
Rupert famously refused to talk to his board about succession. According to one story, he wouldn't even contemplate it until he was at least 100. But nobody lives forever, and the way the company is set up, it's his children who will determine its future. After Lachlan's departure in 2005, his younger brother James quickly ascended to the highest levels of the company. But a series of scandals were brewing that would split Rupert's family and split his business. This is the story of how Rupert faced down the greatest crises of his career, how one son returned and the other abandoned the family altogether. From Schwartz Media and 7am, this is Rupert the Last Mogul. Episode 5, Next in Line. James. James, are you in the newspaper business too? I want to be. Do you really? This is James and Lachlan with Rupert at a fancy party in LA in 1984. Tell us the best thing about your dad. The best thing? Yes. Um, let's see. Um, well, he always likes to go camping with us. The two boys, around 11 and 13 at the time, were dressed like little businessmen. Suits, ties and flowers pinned to their lapels. Put on the spot by a TV reporter, the boys were trying to defend their famous father. Do you really? Yeah. Tell us about your dad. We only know him through the newspapers. How would you describe your dad? Um, well, different from what the newspapers say in the TV shows. Well, I think that the um, papers and the shows about him and stuff make him look a little, like, too, too mean and dark and sinister. And really, he's a really nice person, a fun person. Sometimes, eh? All up, Rupert has six children from three marriages. But the choice of a successor always came down to Liz, Lachlan or James. His kids with second wife, Anna Murdoch. His daughter Liz was regarded by many as the brightest of the three. But in 2001, she quit working for Rupert after hitting the glass ceiling at Sky. She set up her own TV production company, Shine, which was hugely successful. She said it was much easier being a Murdoch outside the family business. By the time Lachlan left in 2005, James was the only sibling left in the empire. It was now his turn to prove he was a worthy successor to his father. James was almost the opposite of his brother. He did not have an easy rapport with staff. He was thought of as incredibly smart, but sometimes difficult and awkward. By 2007, James had risen to become the CEO of News International. That meant he was in control of all of News Corp's operations in Europe, Asia and the UK. James suddenly became the chairman of what was then called News International, out of the blue, without any familiarity with the newspapers or any any love for them. And so he was obviously the pawn that was skillfully moved around by his father until they parted ways. 
Claire Enders is the founder of Enders Analysis, a media consultancy in London. She's been following the Murdochs for years. Uh, at one point, James was challenging Rupert for control of the empire, was setting up his own court in uh, London. You have to remember that James Murdoch and Elizabeth Murdoch were born in the UK. James had made his life in the UK. They are actually British citizens, something which Mr. Murdoch, elder, uh, has never been. Despite his success in London, James was constantly in his father's shadow. As an executive in the company, to be able to learn from my father, as he can hopefully help me make fewer In interviews, he would still get asked about Rupert. And just as he did when he was little, James was effusive about the influence his dad had had on him. What's the most interesting thing he said to you that you hold close to your heart? One of the things that really stuck with me once, someone was asking him uh, about if he could sum things up in one word, what would be the thing, what would be the word that he would like to think about with respect to what he was trying to achieve with his career, with the company, etc. And he didn't hesitate at all, and he simply said, choice. And for me, that was... Behind this awkward facade, James also wanted to exert his own influence. He tried to drag Rupert's politics back to the left, something Wendy Deng, Rupert's third wife, was also trying to do. It seemed to be working. Rupert accepted climate change, famously saying we should give the planet the benefit of the doubt. Rupert and Wendy were hanging around with progressive political figures like Tony Blair and the Clintons. It was only a phase, though. Rupert started to feel like his second son was questioning, even challenging, his leadership of the business. What son doesn't with his father? Yeah. I'm lucky because actually, you know, to tell be me, around... Tell, tell me about one. It doesn't matter whether you won it or lost it. Uh, I usually lose them. He is the boss after all, right? But we, you know... We have... Jones was staking his claim to the succession. There's a world where maybe there could have been a smooth transition from Rupert to his youngest son. But Rupert didn't step aside. He felt threatened. So, in particular, I think he has the most conflicted relationship of all with James Murdoch. James Murdoch is someone who takes decisions in a very different way than his father. He's very considered. He's very thoughtful. He has a very, very high level of moral integrity that he seeks to uphold. That moral integrity was set to be tested. Rupert and James were about to face the most grave crisis that had ever befallen the Murdoch Empire. Well, British journalists and newspaper executives are expected to be arrested within days as the phone hacking scandal deepens. Jeffrey, this story just continues to unfold at a massive rate. It sure does, Elizabeth. This really is an earthquake here. Take a look at the morning papers here. The tabloid is further accused of tapping the phone of 13-year-old murder victim Millie Dowler, hacking the message banks of British soldiers killed in battle and paying police for sensitive information about victims of crime. How big was this crisis at the time for the Murdoch Empire? I can remember it very vividly. One of the lieutenants of Mr. Rupert Murdoch in the UK, him actually telling me when the story broke, is this our BP moment? Deepwater Horizon. Exactly. Yeah. The year before there had been a massive oil spill in, in the Gulf of Mexico. Is, is this our BP moment when we come close to existential death? And that everything should be done to avoid that being the case. The entire globe was shocked by the extent of what had been happening at the news of the world. 
James took swift action and shut down the tabloid, closing the door on Rupert's first ever UK paper and one of the most successful. The Culture, Media and Sport Committee of the British Parliament launched its own inquiry and they called both Rupert and James Murdoch to testify. Deputy Chief Operating Officer and Chairman and Chief Executive of News Corp International, James Murdoch. Can I also thank you for making yourselves available to the committee this afternoon? Thank you, you, Mr Chairman. We're more than prepared to. Thank you. Uh, Perhaps I might start with Mr James Murdoch. Um, You made a statement on the 7th of July. The hearings were a huge global media event by themselves. They were carried live all around the world. Rupert, shuffling and scowling, looked even older than his 80 years. He couldn't have given a better impression of a clueless, doddery old chairman if he tried. James, combative and prickly, tried sticking to the script. Um, Mr Chairman, thank you very much. And First of all, I would like to say as well just how sorry I am and how sorry we are uh, to particularly the victims of illegal voicemail interceptions and to their families. Minutes into the questioning, it seemed Rupert and James weren't exactly a united front. There were two battles playing out, one between the British Parliament and the Murdochs, the other between father and son. As for my comments, Mr Chairman, and my statement, which I believe was around the closure uh, of the News of the World newspaper... Before you get to that, I would just like to say one sentence. This is the most humble day of my life. Thank you. That unforgettable line, this is the most humble day of my life, was reported everywhere. While it was a shocking admission, it was also a form of contrition, disarming in a way. Rupert admitted he'd failed to live up to the journalistic standards set by his father, a man he'd spent his whole life trying to live up to or outdo. Although he'd failed his own father, it looked for all the world like he was taking shelter behind his son, James. That is the first I've heard of that. So none of your UK staff draw your attention to this serious wrongdoing, even though the case received widespread media attention? I think my son can perhaps answer that in more detail. He was a lot closer to it. I'll come to your son in a minute. Who who are the top legal officers? Mr Mr. John Chapman was the top legal officer of News International and Mr Crone was the head of legal affairs. Can I ask what mistake you were referring to? I think maybe that's a question again for James, but... uh, When Rupert wasn't palming questions to his son, James was stepping in voluntarily, trying to protect his father. Europe, I have somewhat more proximity to it. I I understand the detail points. uh, I'm simply offering to help to clarify these matters. Your father is responsible for corporate (laughs) governance and serious wrongdoing has been brought about in the company. And it's revealing in itself what he doesn't know and what executive chose not to tell him. So with respect to you, I will pursue my line of questioning. Claire Enders watched the testimony. She saw Rupert pushing his son into the line of fire over and over. There is no doubt that the number one person that the company sought to protect from the get-go was Rupert Murdoch. And there seemed to be enormous efforts being made right away to keep him as separate as possible from these legal matters. The company was one thing, but at this point, the family was at loggerheads. The phone hacking scandal had divided the Murdochs, 
In London, there were constant war room meetings. Rupert and his daughter Liz were pushing James to take leave or were even considering firing him. James, in distress, called Lachlan to fly over to London and stay their father's hand. Anna Murdoch, though she could barely stand to be in a room with Rupert, flew over as well. She was worried James might end up in jail. Most of the phone hacking happened in the early 2000s, well before James was in charge of the British newspapers. But he was responsible for the company's reaction to the crisis. And the truth was, James had made a huge mistake. In 2008, he'd been sent an email attaching the transcripts of more than a dozen hacked calls. It was proof that phone hacking was widespread throughout the paper and not just one or two rogue reporters. The authors of the email wanted to meet with James urgently and he replied within two minutes saying he was happy to meet. When he was confronted about the email in the committee as proof that James knew the full extent of the phone hacking, he said he hadn't read it. Hardly anyone accepted that explanation. We found News Corporation carried out an extensive cover-up of its rampant law-breaking. After the hearings, the committee got up in front of the media to declare their findings. They were damning of Rupert and James, their conduct and the practices of their tabloids. Its most senior executives repeatedly misled Parliament and the two men at the top, Rupert and James Murdoch, who were in charge of the company, must now answer for that. In the view of the majority of committee members, Rupert Murdoch is not fit to run an international company. Committee's findings were serious, but it wasn't Rupert who'd end up in the crosshairs. Ultimately, he made the call. James wasn't fired, but he was pulled back to America. His push for the top job was over. Rupert was firmly in charge. Fairly or unfairly, James had taken the fall for his father. Do you think that that speaks to the ruthless nature of Rupert Murdoch, that he could treat his son that way? I mean, you, you can call it ruthless or you can call it pragmatic. Or you can also say, well, James Murdoch, you know, had to do something else with his life. And that again speaks to Rupert Murdoch's personality, of a desire for control of the dialogue and also his desire to be in charge. So he continues uh, to be in charge and if someone challenges him for that on, on any basis, then he will see that person off. Therefore, I think his time came and, and then it went. After the break, the eldest son returns. For longtime editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out that's what a therapist is for please <laughs> please go see a therapist we're very pro therapy yeah, yeah, if, no. if that's what you're using writing for i'm michael williams and on this week's very therapeutic episode of read this i chat with winnie dunn listen wherever you get your podcasts as a 7am listener 
You're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. One of the first signs that Rupert was reeling Lachlan back into the family business was a photograph. Back in the days when Rupert was on Twitter, he shared a picture showing the two of them leaning against a granite boulder as the sun sets. It was taken at the family property, Cavern, outside Canberra. As they looked over the property with a glass of wine in hand, you could almost imagine Rupert telling Lachlan, all this could be yours. The timing of the photo, October 2012, was significant. A month later, Rupert released a proxy statement outlining his audacious plan to split his company in two, separating his old newspaper holdings from his profitable American entertainment and television business, 21st Century Fox. They'd call this Goodco. On the other side were his quarantined legacy newspapers, now tarnished by the phone hacking scandal. Everyone called it Shitco. The value of both companies went up almost immediately. Out of the phone hacking crisis, the family had made billions. And Lachlan was back in the fold, at the top of Fox. Lachlan was reluctant. He was quite happy, as he told one reporter, paddling his canoe in quieter waters back in Australia with his family. But he felt that his father was at a point of vulnerability, and he couldn't say no. Rupert's third marriage to Wendy Deng was breaking down, and the family were worried about him. But Lachlan wanted to hear Rupert acknowledge that he was doing something for his father and not the other way around. And so he waited. The version I've been told, Rupert essentially said, Lachlan, I need you to do this for me. Rupert Murdoch is considered to be one of the most influential men in the world of television, news and media, and it is widely expected that he will no longer be involved in the day-to-day operations of 21st Century Fox. People familiar with the there was speculation at the time that Rupert, now in his early 80s, might even hand over the business to Lachlan. It didn't happen. Now his other son, Lachlan Murdoch, is expected to be the uh, co-executive chair. Murdoch- in 2014, Lachlan was given a fancy new title, non-executive co-chairman. James, as chief executive, would be reporting to his brother. And now the three top positions in the American business were held by Murdoch's. And if things pan out just the way analysts are predicting, this will be the first time in the company's history that all three top positions at Fox will be held by Murdoch family members. Now, there's no official word on when all of In returning to the fold, Lachlan came face-to-face with Roger Ailes, the man who'd driven him from the company a decade earlier. Ailes was still head of Fox News and more powerful than ever. But Ailes was flying close to the sun. The old way of doing business was about to catch up with him. For decades, he'd taken a paranoid, hyper-partisan, and we now know, predatory approach to running a television network. Fox News host Gretchen Carlson has filed a lawsuit against the network's CEO, Roger Ailes, claiming she was fired because she refused his advances. On July 6, 2016, former Fox News host Gretchen Carlson named Roger Ailes in a bombshell lawsuit. George, for 11 years, Gretchen Carlson was a stalwart at Fox News, known for speaking her mind. Now she's speaking out against her former boss, claiming he subjected her to severe and pervasive sexual harassment and sabotaged her career. Gretchen was a star anchor at Fox News, but in many ways, she and Fox were a bad fit. 
She was a bad fit in that, you know, she would do pieces on women should have equal pay and pregnancy discrimination. And she wrote a, a piece which was published on Fox and she talked about being sexually harassed when she was Miss America. So she wasn't a great fit, but once you go to Fox, it's very hard to go anywhere else. Nancy Erica Smith is the lawyer who acted for Carlson against Ailes. Gretchen can't talk about the particulars of her case because of a non-disclosure agreement, but Nancy can. This workplace was one of the most toxic that I've seen in 40 years. This workplace was a very, very toxic, sexist workplace. The Me Too movement did reveal that there was an industry-wide problem uh, with sexual harassment at work. What was different about Fox News? I think what was different about Fox News was that the sexual harassment in some respects was embedded in the misogynistic product of Fox News. The product is misogynist. The jewel-toned little tight dresses and you can't wear pants. That was on camera. But off camera, in the Fox newsroom, there was a culture of misogyny, corruption and surveillance. Smear campaigns, hush money, opposition research and war rooms. Gretchen had had enough. What were the nature of the allegations? She was um, the victim of sex discrimination and sexual harassment. She did not succumb to his uh, sexual overtures. He actually said to her, you know, we should have had sex and you'd be better and I'd be better and everything would be better. He was an incredibly brilliantly manipulative man who had a way of acting like he's talking about your career and he's going to help you with your career. And he had tremendous power in that regard, tremendous power. And then fitting in sexual comments and putting you down. It was really uh, incredible psychological warfare listening to him talk to her and bring her up, bring her down, bring her up, bring her down and intersperse it with, oh, we should go to a hotel and talk this over. Gretchen could tell she was about to be fired. Her show was moved to a worse time slot and they cut her staff. Gretchen knew she needed hard evidence. After meeting with Nancy, she decided she'd wear a wire. She wore it into meetings with Roger Ailes himself. It was our ace. We had jacks, kings and queens. We, we had a lot of evidence. But the tapes made it virtually impossible for them to risk trying the case because Roger Ailes is not just a sexist. He's a racist, anti-Semite, homophobe. Name some kind of hatred. And we all knew what we were dealing with, so we entered into a period of real preparation. All of our devices were made much more secure. Everything was encrypted. We anticipated that we were dealing with very powerful people, especially a powerful person in the media. You know, we knew that. Nancy and Gretchen had a watertight case, including recorded proof of Ailes' harassment. When Gretchen was finally taken aside and told she was fired, they filed their case. We're sitting in my dining room, and as soon as we heard that it was filed, we sent it out with a press release to the reporters who we had chosen. We had a list. And we sat there for about 45 minutes just waiting. Is anybody going to care? Is anybody going to notice what's going to happen? 
and then it just went crazy. When news of the lawsuit broke, Rupert, Lachlan and James were all out of town. Rupert was on his honeymoon with his fourth wife, Jerry Hall. Lachlan and James went into action. They decided to appoint immediately an external law firm to investigate. More and more women at Fox started coming forward. And then one of the network's top anchors, Megan Kelly, rang Lachlan out of the blue and said that Ailes had propositioned her years before. Lachlan's first words to her were, I'm sorry. Can you talk about their response and how did, how did that play out? Well, they were lawyers that I, I knew well. They wanted to know, uh, could they interview Gretchen? And I said, why would I let you interview my client? And I think, you know, within two weeks, Roger Ailes was gone. He was driving around the block and they wouldn't let him in the building. So the reporters that I know that are the closest to the Murdochs made it clear that it was the sons who were pushing to maybe get rid of Roger Ailes. Lachlan had never forgot that his father had picked Roger over him back in 2005. People who've worked with Lachlan have told me he has a talent for vengeance. He would wait and wait and wait until he struck. Did Gretchen or did you at the time think that you might destroy Fox News itself by taking down the founder, Roger Ailes? No, I don't have delusions of grandeur. (laughs) That would have been great if I had that dream even. But no, we we thought we could hurt them. I mean, he he was the face of Fox News and uh, and the architect, but nothing's going to change. Fox News settled with Gretchen for $20 million. Meanwhile, Ailes was paid $40 million to leave. Nancy continued to represent victims of harassment at Fox News. Most of them remain confidential. One case did become public, though, against anchor Bill O'Reilly, host of popular primetime show The Factor. That would come later. Now with our lead story, Donald Trump returning to The Factor. As you may remember, a man in New Hampshire... After Ailes left... Rupert took over, but for many, it was rudderless. So I think when people see me, when they see I want to make America great again, they all of a sudden say, you know, we really like him. I'm actually a so nice you're person. I try very hard everybody. to be a nice person. You're going to grow on us then. You're going to grow on us. Well, One thing didn't change. As America went into the 2016 election, Fox News was 100% behind Donald Trump. I got it. The more you see you, the more you're going to like you. Now, fair interview? Well, was for whatever it a- reason. Fair? Everything fair? Are we good? You were very fair. You're always fair. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Almost. And we're, almost, I know. Okay, and we appreciate you coming on. After Trump's surprise election win, Fox News went even further to the right. After Bill O'Reilly came Tucker Carlson. Now, millions of viewers were taking in white supremacist talking points like the Great Replacement Theory. A New York Times analysis of every episode of Tucker Carlson tonight from 2016 to 2021 showed that the Great Replacement Theory was amplified more than 400 times on the program. I have less political power because they're importing a brand new electorate. Why should I sit back and take that? 
The power that I have uh, is The white supremacists are American citizens. Uh, the illegal immigrants are people who shouldn't be here. As with illegal immigration, the long-term agenda of refugee resettlement is to bring in future Democratic voters, obviously. So before she became the most... As Fox News got more extreme, it split Lachlan and James. Just as Trump was dividing America, he divided the two brothers. After the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, James sent an email to everyone at Fox. He wrote, I can't even believe I have to write this. Standing up to Nazis is essential. James might have been incredulous, but on air, the ideas from the streets of Charlottesville were being repeated uncritically. And the next split was already in motion. In the background, Rupert was doing what would turn out to be the biggest deal of his career, the sale of the bulk of his media empire to Disney for $71 billion. James thought he might end up with a top role at Disney, even replacing the chief executive, Bob Iger. James thought it would be a condition of the deal. Rupert made sure that it wasn't. The deal was inked in 2019, but it left James out in the cold. In 2020, he turned on the family. It started here in Australia during one of our worst natural disasters, the Black Summer. So I travel back to Australia once every year, usually for, for Christmas, and the country is being ravaged by these bushfires. That's Lachlan Cartwright, now editor-at-large for The Daily Beast, where he covers the Murdochs. And what I found incredibly curious was the coverage that was going on, not just in Murdoch's newspapers, but on his Sky TV network. And they were basically saying that these bushfires were the result, not of climate change, but of arsonists. And it, the thought just occurred to me, what do the Murdochs all think about this? This is their own country and it's burning, it's on fire. So I, when I got back to New York, I sat down and I called every member of the Murdoch family. He called Wendy Deng. She slammed the phone down. He called Lachlan, who asked how he got the number. Then he got onto a representative for James and his wife, Catherine. And much to my luck, they responded with a statement publicly criticising News Corp and Fox for the coverage of the fires. And this was the first time that uh, a member of the Murdoch family had broken ranks like this. And I thought, I've got a cracking yarn here. Um, I don't think in that moment I appreciated what was going to come next. And almost immediately on, uh, on Twitter and uh, on other platforms, the story just took off. Rupert Murdoch's son, James, has attacked the company's reporting of the issue in light of Australia's bushfire crisis. Rupert Murdoch's son, James Murdoch, sits on the News Corp board. A spokesperson for him and his wife, Catherine, say their views on climate are well established and their frustration with some of News Corp and Fox coverage of the topic is also well known. They are particularly disappointed with the ongoing denial among the news outlets in Australia. What was the impact of the story within the family? Rupert and Lachlan were incredibly pissed off. And then several months later led to James you know, resigning from the, the board of, of News Corp. And that story uh, really was kind of the start of that, that rift, getting to the point where they, they don't speak. The two are barely in the same room. James Murdoch launched one more broadside against the company. 
After the insurrection on January 6, James gave an interview to the Financial Times. He said, quote, The sacking of the capital is proof positive that what we thought was dangerous is indeed very, very much so. His departure left Lachlan the clear successor. It was about this time I realised that although there had been 50 books about Rupert, nobody had taken a proper look at Lachlan's life and career and how he'd risen to the top. Given he'd spent so much time in Australia, I thought only an Australian journalist could do it. So I got to work. It'd take me two years. Back then, I still believed Rupert would never retire. He'd be carried out in a box. But on the 21st of September, 2023, in Sydney, it was a late Thursday evening, I was totally blindsided by the news that Rupert had finally stepped down. And Lachlan would be appointed executive chairman of both companies. Two months later, Rupert shared his parting words with the world. My life has certainly been fortunate. We are blessed to live in a country where dreams are not yet subject to regulation. There are so many inspiring stories around us of those who have created much social good from humble beginnings. Like my father, I believe that humanity has a high destiny and Lockham certainly shares that belief. Their sense of destiny is not just a blessing, but a responsibility. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Memento. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. In the next episode, I speak to former Prime Minister of Australia, Malcolm Turnbull, about how Murdoch entered the Liberal Party's cabinet. Both Abbott and Morrison brought Murdoch effectively into the government. It's a very intimate relationship. I also explore what the Dominion case reveals about Rupert Murdoch's power, what his legacy will look like, and whether Lachlan Murdoch can hold the empire together. There is a real risk for Rupert that once he's gone, things fall apart. And what Rupert is right now trying to do is give Lachlan the chance to bind it together. Rupert, The Last Mogul is hosted by me, Paddy Manning. Our supervising producer is Shane Anderson. Mixing, compositions and additional production by Zoltan Fetcho. Our executive producer is Sarah McVie. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Thanks to Stephen Main, Alan Rusbridger, Robert Greenwald and Natalie Fenton. This series is a production of Schwartz Media and 7am. Thanks for listening.